Under the Golden Dome. You're five feet nothing, and you got hardly a speck of athletic ability. And you hung in with the best college football team in the land for two years. And you're also going to walk out of here with a degree from the University of Notre Dame. Looking deep for Tim Brown. He has to wait for it, but he catches it. Brown to the 20, to the 10. Touchdown, Notre Dame. Ishmael down around the five-yard line. The kick will come down, and Rugib will take it. Takes it at the 12, 15, 20, 25. He's at the 30. After Burgers a run. He's gone. 40, 45, 50. Down the sideline at the 35. A right to the goal line at the 10. It's time for Under the Golden Dome, your most in-depth, informative Notre Dame football podcast. Here's your host, Sean SD2 Mikes Davis. Welcome in to the Under the Golden Dome podcast. I am Sean Davis. Tune in to us each and every week as we give you an inside and behind-the-scenes look at the Notre Dame football program. And you can catch each and every podcast on ESPN1000.com and the ESPN app. So excited for the 2019-2020 football season, beginning down in Louisville, Kentucky against the Louisville Cardinal for Brian Kelly and his fight in Irish. Let's go ahead and kick it off by looking back at a successful 2018-2019 season with a bad ending in the Cotton Bowl. Brian Kelly and his fight in Irish came into the 2018 season with a raised level of expectation. And what better way to test the expectations than to have your biggest rival come in to Notre Dame Stadium week one. Gun snap on first and ten. Gives inside. This could be an Irish touchdown to four Armstrong. Touchdown Notre Dame. Looking deep. Chris Fink down there. After the impressive win against rival Michigan, the Notre Dame offense then sputtered against Ball State and Vanderbilt, causing head coach Brian Kelly to make a move at the quarterback position as junior quarterback Brandon Wimbush was replaced by sophomore quarterback Ian Book, who got the start versus Wake Forest. Fourth down and one. It is a pass. It is a touchdown to Brock Wright. Second down goal for Notre Dame. Ian Book lunging attempt for the goal line. It is a touchdown. Ian Book. Doing just about anything he wants with this talented Notre Dame offense. The Fighting Irish then returned home for the battle of the unbeatens in South Bend against the Stanford Cardinal, where they looked to overcome the fourth quarter demons that haunted them in 2016 and 17 versus Stanford. Dexter Williams in the game for the first time this year for Notre Dame. Takes the handoff and takes off. Williams on the run, on the way for a touchdown. Five options to throw. Book gets away from the rush. Next up for Notre Dame was a difficult contest in Blacksburg where Sandman awaited them, but it was the Notre Dame defense that put Virginia Tech to sleep. And now Willis backpedaling Chase. Can he escape? He cannot. Sacked back at the 35-yard line, Julian Aquora. Willis is a passer, has missed five in a row, has to dodge pressure again, running for his life, loses the football. It's a takeaway for the Irish. It's Julian Love is going to score the other way. Reverses momentum. Williams turns the corner and look out. Dexter Williams in a foot race. Can they run him down? No. 98-yard touchdown. So Notre Dame enters November unblemished as they had done many times before under Brian Kelly, only to falter late in the season. And this time, this team wanted to be up to the task as they went out to the Coliseum for the last game of the regular season. Hook for Fink over the shoulder. 
another catch. Touchdown as the Irish finally break through. What a pitch and catch. Irish show pressure. Bring it. Daniels swarmed and sacked again. Jerry Tillery. Jones is the back. He's got it again. And Jones a letter room. Tony Jones makes a cut. Gets a block. Notre Dame would end the season 12-0 and will rank third in the country. Would they get into the college football playoff? Well, yes, they would. They would be the number three seed, and they would face off against the number two seed, Clemson Tigers, in the Cotton Bowl. A deep throw by Lawrence. A lot of contact. Justin Ross broke free from it. He's down in the end zone. Touchdown, Clemson. Definitely not the outcome that the Fighting Irish or their fan base were looking for, but Brian Kelly was encouraged by what he saw. The yardage and the points, similar to the Alabama game six years ago. Do y'all feel? Do you feel closer to that level of competition, despite the numbers? I left that game feeling like there was so much work to be done from the inside out. Um, so much development, so much recruiting. Um, this, this felt so much different, like we gave up four big plays that we characteristically don't give up and uh, very capable of moving the football and doing the things necessary to beat this football team. They were the better team today. There's no doubt about it. Um, but with uh, now giving them the opportunity to see how they need to play in this atmosphere, um, not flawless, but with excellence, uh, we can come back here and win. So it's a different, real different feeling for me. When we come back on this Notre Dame football preview, we'll get you ready for the 2019 version of the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. We'll hear from Brian Kelly and we'll talk to Brian Triscoll from blueandgold.com. It's under the Golden Dome podcast, ESPN1000.com and the ESPN app. Under the Golden Dome. We got to coach better. We got to put our kids in a better position to succeed, and uh, we've got to make plays uh, on this stage. Um, <clears throat> I feel terrible for our seniors. They put us on the brink of of a championship. It's now up to everybody else that has eligibility in that locker room to get this football team um, to a championship. So the challenge is in that locker room now to um, dedicate themselves to. Um, um, taking what this senior group has has given the group that comes back and uh, running with it and um, winning a championship. Welcome back under the Golden Dome pod right here on ESPN1000.com and the ESPN app. I'm Sean Davis, and you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at SD2Mikes. That right there was the voice of Notre Dame football head coach Brian Kelly. Also, in our recap, video highlights courtesy of ABC Sports, ESPN, NBC Sports, and also the Notre Dame Radio Network. Part one of our preview for the 2019 Notre Dame Irish will take us to the offensive side of the ball. 20 grueling practices involved in fall camp, and now preparation for the Louisville Cardinal has begun. So let's go behind the scenes of the Notre Dame offense with lead football analyst from blueandgold.com and Blue and Gold Illustrated, Brian Driscoll, as he joins us on Under the Golden Dome. Brian, how have you been doing? I'm doing great, man. Just getting ready for some football games to finally start. The one thing that stood out, the post-game press conference at the loss to Clemson at the Cotton Bowl, Brian Kelly talking about the gap between the top-tier teams, Alabama and Clemson, being a little bit smaller than it was back in 2012 when they got demolished by Alabama in the national championship game. Where is this program at? How would you classify where the Notre Dame program is as of today? 
I think Notre Dame is as good as anybody in the country at most positions. I think defensive line-wise, I think when it comes to their, their skill pass catchers, I think their offensive line, they don't take a backseat to anybody when it comes to recruiting. And, and right now, I mean, you could make a case, and pro football focus has made that case, that Notre Dame has the best edge players in the country. And they have the number three secondary in the country, according to pro football focus. Where, where the gap still exists is I think the recruiting a linebacker in the, the end of the Brian Van Gorder era was not good. So they're very young at that position. And I think quarterback. And I think Ian Book did a lot of good things last year. And he was a big part of their success. But when you get to the postseason and you get to that national stage, you need a quarterback that can make plays. And Ian didn't make enough plays in that game. And, and that's going to be that next step. You know, I asked somebody this. I said, well, let me ask you a question. If you take that 2017 team and you can make one change, and the change was you put Lamar Jackson at quarterback instead of Brandon Wimbush, what do you think of that Notre Dame team? And the response was, oh, man, that, who beats that team? And I say the same thing last year. You switch quarterbacks. And you give Notre Dame Trevor Lawrence or Tua Tungvaloa or Kyler Murray, and that's the only change you make, they could have beat anybody. So I think the gap has gotten much closer in that regard. But in today's era, where you have to be dynamic at quarterback, I still think that's where they're trailing. You talk about how important the quarterback position is in college football. Is Ian Book ready to take that next step to be able to get Notre Dame over the hump? I think he's capable of it. You know, I'm still kind of, let's see him do it. You know, we've seen some flashes of it in practice. The last open practice we saw, I watched him hit three straight deep balls just perfectly on the money, exactly where you want them to be. Uh, But he's got to do it on a consistent basis, and he's got to do it when the bullets are live. And I think that's the big thing that we need to see from Ian Book is, you know, when the pressure's coming, when there's a defense that's able to hit you because you don't have a red jersey on, can you make those throws? We've seen him do it, you know, in practice. We saw him do it in a couple games. But he's got to show that he can do it. And, and look, we're not talking about him making 12 throws a game that right now he's not making. It's three or four. You know, uh, Sean, you and I have talked about this. A perfect example is you look at the first quarter of the the playoff game. Notre Dame forces an early punt. They get the ball at midfield. Mm -hmm. They get it at Clemson 49. Miles Boykin is open on a post route. If Ian Book steps into the pocket and makes that throw like he's capable of, it's either a touchdown or first and goal inside the 10. That's a big momentum shift early in that game. And the fact that he didn't make that throw and he actually fumbled, then Clemson gets it, goes down, and scores a field goal. That, that's the kind of swing that that kind of play can make or break you in a game like that. And if he can start making those plays, I think, he's, I think they're going to be very hard to defend on offense. He's capable of it, but until he can prove it on Saturdays, or in this case Monday night, uh, I, I ha- I'm still a little, a little skeptical. Once again, we have on the line Brian Driscoll from blueandgold.com. He is the digital editor over there and also the football analyst. Go to blueandgold.com. Check it out. He does a great podcast with the historian at Notre Dame that everybody should know if you don't. Anything you need to know about Notre Dame football, Lou Samoji probably has it in his cerebellum. Definitely to get the information to you. They have a great podcast. You can check that out weekly over at blueandgold.com. Speaking about his improvement on the deep ball or where he needs to improve on his deep ball, was that something that Tommy Reeves worked on him specifically with during the spring, or was that just an adjustment he made on his own by watching film? I'm actually a big Tommy Reeves fan as a coach. I mean, you know, that's my position. I've played quarterback. I've coached quarterback. I, I like to pay a little atten- extra attention to that. And, and what you saw was what quarterbacks that don't have big arms get in a bad habit, and, and I coached at the Division three and the 1AA level, so I saw this a lot more because we didn't have 6'4", 
you know, six five Trevor Lawrence arms at our level. And what you what you have with guys that don't have big arms is when they try to throw the deep ball or the really tougher, you know, the twenty yard dig cut or the twenty yard in cut, they, they feel they have to muscle it. And when you muscle it, you're naturally gonna grip the ball tighter. When you grip the ball tighter, it's gonna slow down the revolutions. And then, you know, when Ian would muscle it, if you look at the deep throws he missed last year, it was always long. You know, missed that deep throw against Virginia Tech early in the game. Missed, a, missed Chris Fink for a touchdown against USC on a ball we overthrew because he would throw it with the tighter grip and he'd muscle it. So it got up and it got down really fast, and it didn't allow the receivers a chance to run under the ball. What I've seen in, from him as we've gotten deeper into fall camp is he's not muscling the ball anymore. He's stolen with better timing. so He doesn't have to throw it as far. And he's, he's having more faith in himself as a thrower. So you're seeing him just snap the ball off. So you're seeing a tighter spiral, and you're seeing the ball hang up just a little bit more, which has been allowing receivers to run underneath it. I watched him in, in live practice 11-on-11 11 11 situations. He hit a seam throw to Jahar Armstrong and then two deep balls, a post route to Lawrence Keyes, a post route to Chris Fink, and all three balls where guys ran under it and caught it on the run. We've hardly ever seen that from Ian Book. I think the, the post route to Miles Boykin is the only one I can think of where he actually threw a over-the-middle deep ball that they were able to hit. So – uh, I think that adjustment comes from Tommy Reese. It comes from Ian Book's work. I think he also spent some time, I believe he was at the Peyton uh, Manning Academy this summer as well. So uh, I, I think that's a natural thing. Now let's see it carry over to Saturdays. If he can do that, uh, that's why I, I, I am optimistic that it, it can be fixed. We just have to see it. Talking to a couple of local Notre Dame fans here in the past couple of weeks, they heard head coach Brian Kelly say that the running back position might not be as explosive as it was last year with the loss of one Dexter Williams. But you have guys like Tony Jones Jr., Jafar Armstrong, and Kyron Williams who has come on and had a great fall camp by all reports. What makes Notre Dame fans, or why should they feel comfortable losing explosion but yet feel comfortable with the production that they're going to get out of this running back core? I think it's just different. You know, and look, it, some people think, well, you know, this guy leaves, and so you have to replace that exact thing to be successful. Uh, and and Dex, Dexter Williams brought an explosiveness to the offense that Brian Kelly talked about, but, but what Dexter didn't bring was very much in the pass game, either as a blocker or a pass catcher. Jafar Armstrong came to Notre Dame as a wide receiver. And he's a guy that's capable of catching the ball out of the backfield, which you've seen. But as we also saw last year, he's capable of lining up in the slot and running routes just as well as a receiver does and catching the ball. So, you know, he may not bring the constant threat of scoring from 60 that Dexter brought to the table, but I think that versatility makes you it makes it very hard to defend. And, and I think he is the one guy on the roster that has the explosiveness to replace Dexter. I think Brian Kelly, as we've known him to be, doesn't like to throw praise on guys who haven't proven themselves. He wants them to prove it then he'll start praising you for it. And, and I think when you see that all-around play, uh, that's where the optimism comes from. And, look, this isn't just me talking about what we saw in practice. Remember, Dexter Williams did not play the first four games of the 2018 season. In those four games that he did not play, Notre Dame only averaged one less yard of offense per game in those four games than they did in the final nine with Dexter as a running back as a unit. They averaged more yards per touch. They averaged 6.6 yards per touch, which is rushes and receptions, whereas when Dexter was in the game, it was 6.3 yards per touch. Now, what they didn't have was as many rushing yards, but they balanced that by adding impact plays in the run. Because remember the Vanderbilt game. You know, people forget Tony Jones was the star of that game. 
He ran yeah. for 118 yards, and he had two catches for 56 yards, including a great wheel route that set up their go-ahead score. So that's what should give people excitement is it's not going to be a repeat of what Dexter did. It's going to be different, but it's going to bring a lot of production, and that makes teams – it makes you harder to defend. If all a running back can do is attack you between the tackles, that's great, but some teams are going to be able to shut that down. But when you have a guy like Jafar Armstrong or Kyron Williams that can literally line up at X, Z, W in the backfield and, and be effective and, and a playmaker at all those positions – it makes you much harder to defend schematically, and, and it makes defensive coordinators put a lot more work into defending your offense. Jeff Quinn, second year. You've talked about it on blueandgold.com. This is his year. He came in. He was very respectful of Harry Heastan and the work he had done. But you feel like this is the year that his voice starts to resonate with this offensive line, and it becomes his guys and his unit. You know, I, I really respect what Jeff, how Jeff Quinn handled this this transition from Harry Heastan to, to him taking over at that line. A lot of coaches have this bad habit of coming in and, and feeling the need to dismantle what was done before. Uh, when you have the best line coach in the country, that's a, a silly thing to do. Jeff Quinn, I think, with, with Alex Bars being experienced and playing for Her- Coach Heastan for four years, with Sam Musk for doing the same thing, I think he kind of wanted to let the veterans do some of the leading and let them be the voice. And he just kind of slowly worked his way in. Starting this spring and, and definitely into the fall, we've seen him much more animated, much more uh, vocal. And he's not a cusser. He's not like that. He's just constantly coaching, constantly teaching. We didn't see that a lot from him last year. And I think he is still that leadership void that was lost when Alex Bars uh, and Tim Mustafer is gone, which then takes some of the pressure off of a Robert Haynes or a Lee Meikenberg. And now they can find a, kind of find a, follow his method. So I think we're going to see him put his stamp on that line this year. Now, does that mean they're going to be as good as the Harry Eastman line? We'll see. So far in fall camp, I think they've been outstanding. Uh, but that's going to be the big key, right? Like, you can yeah. put your stamp on it, but if your stamp is, isn't as good as the product Harry Eastman put on the, on the field in 2015 and 2017, and the, you know, then, then the, the cool story no longer becomes a cool story because it's about what you're producing. Yeah, once again, we're talking to Brian Driscoll, digital editor and also football analyst at Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. Go and check him out over there right now. They have a great lineup of guys that not only cover the football team, but also cover the recruiting and get you set for each and every ball game headed into this season. One thing I've seen under Brian Kelly, that he always has a senior that ends up popping the light goes on, the likes of Chris Brown or Miles Boykin. But then next to him, he usually has a young, explosive guy like a Will Fuller or the former wide receiver Kevin Stefferson. When he came in as a freshman, he made an impact with his speed and his explosion. Who might be that guy next to Chase Claypool, who by all reports is going to end up being a beast and put it together once again? Who can be that young guy, that young, explosive guy next to him to go ahead and compliment him? Well, it was going to be Michael Young. And he was having a phenomenal fall camp until he got hurt. So he's broke his collarbone. So he's going to be out probably the first month of the season. So that took a little bit away from it. But when he got hurt, they moved Chris Fink out to that X position, and they put Lawrence Keyes into the slot. And that is a kid that Notre Dame fans are going to want to know. And college football fans that maybe aren't real familiar with Notre Dame are going to know this kid. He's from New Orleans. Uh, you know, that's not an area where Notre Dame tends to get a lot of kids. But when they have gotten kids from Louisiana recently, they've had a lot of success, obviously Jerry Tillery being the most recent. But he's a kid that's really fun to watch because he's about 5'10". He's about 175 pounds. He ran a 4'48 this summer. But the thing about him, Sean, is he's a 4'48 within two steps. And when he makes cuts as a route runner, he explodes out. He gets great separation. 
and when you watch last year's offense, you know, I remember watching the Ohio State game and against Michigan, and, and Michigan's just getting killed with those crossing routes. And I had somebody call me and say, why doesn't Notre Dame run more of those? And I'm like, who are you going to throw them to? Miles Boykin? Chase Claypool? They were vertical players. The receivers they had last year were all guys that did all their best work before and at the point of the catch. After the catch, they weren't really making a lot of plays. I think with a guy like Lawrence Keith, he brings that kind of dynamic speed and route running ability to where he may be able to catch a five-yard crossing route and outrun the defender up the sideline. He's a guy that can get over the top of the defense on a post route or a deep seam route to where you now have to defend the length of the field, not just the width of the field. And so he can bring that kind of explosiveness that they don't really have. And, you know, you asked about receivers, but another guy that brings that kind of explosiveness is actually a tight end. They have a redshirt freshman tight end named Tommy Trimble. Dad played at Georgia back in the day. He ran a 4-6 coming out of high school. He is, he is faster than some of their wide receivers now, and he's 6-3, about 235, and he's a nightmare matchup. He's another guy that I think with Cole Komet out early in the year, I think you're going to see Notre Dame try to get him involved and use his speed as well to make a difference. But those two guys, Lawrence Keyes and Tommy Trumbull, are guys to watch out for early in the season, Sean. When it comes to Chip Long and this uh, Notre Dame offense, the development that needs to take place to take the next step to not only get to the college football playoff, but to actually win a semifinal game and have a great chance to bring it all home in the national title game. We talk about what we look at offensively, the statistics going into last year's college football playoff. All of those teams scored 40 and above. Notre Dame sat at right about 32 points per game or something like that. It was 31.4, actually, it was, uh, 30, after the playoffs. 31 points per game. Can this Notre Dame offense make up that gap? Can they get the 40 points per game this year? I don't think there's any doubt. I mean, they're capable of it. Let me, I, I don't, and I don't think Notre Dame has to score 44. The, the reality is they don't have some of the games that they can pad their stats, like you know playing Citadel or, or playing Mercer or, or team, Western Carolina, teams like that. So, Really where Notre Dame needs to be is they need to be about that 38-39, the 40-point mark. We've seen them do it. You know, in, in 2017, through nine games, they were 8-1. and one. They were averaging over 41 points a game, and that was against a, a schedule that where they played Georgia. They played a 10-win Michigan State team. They played an 11-win USC team, scored 49 against USC, scored 38 on the road against Michigan State, scored 35 against an NC State team that had four NFL draft picks on their defensive line. So – but they just couldn't finish. And I think last year, if you look at what they averaged when Ian Book was the quarterback, their average when Ian Book at the quarterback was about 36 points per game. So remember, they scored 24, 24, and 22 in the first three games with Brandon Wimbush, a quarterback. I mean, when Ian Book took over, they were a little bit more effective. And so I think they're capable of it. But what I care more about is not so much the points per game overall. It's scoring more points per game against the better defensive teams on the schedule, and that's when they've really fallen behind. You know, they scored 49 against USC. USC wasn't very good on defense. They scored eight against Miami. Scored 19 against Georgia. They've got to get to that 27 to 30 point to be able to get to that point against the better teams. I mean, look, Clemson scored 44 points per game. Yeah. Notre Dame held them two touchdowns short of their of their season average. Two touchdowns fewer than what Alabama gave up to them. But because their offense couldn't match and get to that 27-30, to 30, they weren't able to stay in the game. So uh, that's the number that I really look at. But I think this team is – this is the most balanced chip-long offense he's had because, Sean, you watch Notre Dame. The last two years, they've had two completely different offenses. Yeah. In 2017, it was run, 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 dynamic quarterback. Last year was RPOs, precision passing. And that's what I think – that's why I like Chip Long because 
he's not a stubborn guy that says, here's what I do and here's what I believe in, and i got to find guys to do exactly what I want. He says, here's the guys i got to work with. How can I get the most out of these kids? This is now his third year. He's now got his first recruiting class are now juniors. He's now had this offensive line for three years. He's had Ian Book for three years now. They've developed their own quarterback. And you know, Phil Dracovic, who's come along as a backup, Michael Young, they recruited. You know, Braden Lindsey, Lawrence Keyes, those kind of guys. So this is the closest he's been to having the diversity that he likes from a skill set standpoint, where it's not just all fast guys, or not just all big guys, but a nice blend. And so that's why I think now that you have that type of skill set, that's why I think his offense is going to flourish because it really needs that diversity for it to really be at its best. I'll simplify it, and maybe you can help me out by simplifying this and saying, maybe, Sean, no, it's not as simple as that. I look at that, and I just say, they need to be more consistent. That's one extra touchdown per game. That's one extra drive per game. It it is. Within that simplicity, there's a lot of complexity. I do think it's as simple as that. I think it's a consistency thing. And and it's not even a consistency thing within games. It's a consistency thing from week to week. You know, last year, you look at an example. They go score 38 points against Stanford and, and blow Stanford out, beat them by 21. They go on the road against Virginia Tech and score 45 points. Blow Virginia Tech off the field in the second half, right? Really put that game away. You saw them against Northwestern, who had a really good defense, held Michigan 20 points, and they go out and score 31 on the road. They blow out Syracuse, score 36 on Syracuse, score over 40 against Florida State, have the first 200-yard running back against Florida State since 1985. Then they score 24 against Ball State, 22 against Vanderbilt, and 19 against Pitt. And so it's that, it's that can, they, can they put away the teams that they're supposed to put away consistently? And that's really where Notre Dame needs to get to. And part of that to me, Sean, is we've seen two different offenses. In 2017, they were really good. They would just come out and they would roll you early and, and just bury you. And that's why through nine games in 2017 – they were scoring over 40 points a game. But then we saw in the Georgia game where they missed opportunities. It was Brandon Wimbush throwing the wrong receiver, throwing a slider out to the back instead of hitting the deep end cut on the first drive against Georgia, which would have given them a first down and got them in the red zone. You know, those are the kind of misses. The playoff game against Clemson, which I talked about, I believe, earlier, where you've got the post out open. You know, hit that shot. You've got Michael Young on a drag route. Take that shot and hit it. So, you know, those missed opportunities in the big games are a big part of it. But when you're just looking at scoring average, it's, if you can score 45 on Virginia Tech and 38 on, on Stanford in the year before, 49 on an 11-win USC team, 35 on an NC State team that had one of the best defenses in the country. You're talking about scoring 38 on the road against the Michigan State team that had one of the best defenses in the country. Then why are you going out and scoring 24 against Navy? or 24 against Ball State. So I just think this team needs to develop that, that swagger, that killer instinct to where, you know, when, when you step on the field against Notre Dame, you better be ready because if you, if you don't come out hot, they're going to be on you 17 nothing, 21 to nothing before you can blink, like they did against Michigan. But then when they got that lead, they didn't have that ability to just put Michigan away. Yeah. So that's where I think that consistency you talk about is you can jump up on them 21 to three, and then you give up a kick return for a touchdown changes the complexity of that game so yeah i think that i think that it's it's consistency thing uh but it's also kind of developing that that attitude and that swagger and that's why i'm optimistic about this team and why people keep asking me why are you so optimistic about the team because as a football coach you get a read on the on the energy the emotion the confidence of your football team and the last couple of years Notre Dame's had a very business-like team 
This team's practices with an edge every single day. The competition that we see every day in practice is unlike some, I've, anything I've ever seen at Notre Dame since I started covering the team back in 2010. They just play with a different speed, a different physicality, a different edge than we've seen. And I think it's because the loss that they had last year was not something that, that, that hurt them mentally. It actually angered them because they knew they were better than 30-3. to three. And, and I look at, you know, kind of you've seen this in the past where, you know, when Clemson went out and lost to Alabama in the title game in 2015, they didn't say, hey, you know what, we had a great year, we almost won, let's be happy. They were mad. Yeah. And they came out that year in 2016 with a little bit of a chip on their shoulder. And then when they played Alabama, they're like, we're not afraid of you. And they went right at them. You know, Alabama jumps up 14-0. We don't care. We're coming right back at you. And this team is playing with that swagger. Now, can it translate into games? I don't know. But so far, I really like what I've seen. And that's the difference in that consistency, Sean. It's getting that dog in you. You know, yeah. that, that I want to play you. And I want not only do I want to beat you, I want to take your heart. I want to take your – I want to take your – I don't want you to believe in yourself. And that's what that 2017 team did because of Quentin Nelson and Mike McGlinchey. They would just take your pride. They just You didn't want to play anymore. And if they can do that up front and then have better skill, which is what that 2017 team was lacking, that's where you see Notre Dame take that next step. So basically you talked about Cole Komet and Michael Young Jr. Both guys are going to miss three or four games. Is that the prognosis? We look to see either one of those guys in week three or four? Well, Michael, I think Cole Komet, there's a lot more optimism that he'll be back maybe by Georgia, if not Georgia, Virginia, for two reasons. One is he got hurt much earlier. He got hurt on the fifth practice. So that was very early in August. Uh, he's been known to be a fast healer. He's already catching. He's already out there kind of running around. So there's hope that he'll be back by Georgia or Virginia. Michael Young got hurt much later in camp. So um, with the young, younger seal guy, he's not as big and as strong as Cole Komet. So that, that, that one is still to be determined because you, you know how they're showing. You, you don't know how fast the bone's going to heal, yeah. which then allows you to start getting into action. So right now he's still, as of this past week, was still in a swing. He's probably going to be out for most of September. Uh, unless he can make a faster comeback. But I think by the middle of the year, hopefully by maybe Bowling Green or USC, it is more of a, a, a more realistic target date for Michael Young. And before we switch over to the defense, can we get a quick update on what's going on with Kevin Austin? You know, it's an interesting situation. So I was told on Sunday uh, by a couple sources that Kevin was going to be suspended for the year. He was already serving a four-game suspension. And we were told that he had gotten uh, some, some things that had happened that he was going to miss the year. And so I was just trying to do some digging, trying to get some more sourcing on it, trying to find some sources closer to the program. Wasn't able to do it just yet, and then it broke. Another site broke that news, and so I, we put out what we knew, and that was he was going to be out for the year. I got a call from a couple different sources this morning saying, hey, according to what we were told last night you know, by people close to the program, it looks like that's not accurate. He's actually going to be out four games and that he is not going to be out for an entire year as of right now. So, so really it's up in the air. Brian Kelly meets with the media uh, Wednesday morning, and we're hoping that, that he'll make some sort of announcement, official announcement one way or the other. But uh, I think right now his future is very much in doubt as far as this season. But hopefully if, if he's not suspended for the whole year, hopefully this will be sort of a wake-up call for Kevin. You know, he, he's done what he needs to do in the classroom. He's over a 3.0 GPA from, from what we've been told. He's incredibly talented. He just needs to start making better decisions. And if he can do that and let his talent speak for itself without the other distractions, he's a tremendous weapon that can really help this football team. We want to thank Brian Driscoll from blueandgold.com for joining us on part one to cover the offense. Don't go anywhere. Part two is coming right up.
and we'll get into the defensive side of the ball, and we'll also talk about the schedule for the Notre Dame Fighting Irish and the path that it's going to take to get back to the college football playoff. You're right here under the Golden Dome, Sean Davis, ESPN1000.com, and the ESPN app.